0: it's lovely to see so many people here this evening, and I welcome you, and if I haven't met you before, I hope that you will introduce yourselves to me before you leave. I'll stake myself out by the door so you can't get out without running over me. So, I wanted to talk tonight... a bit about working with what are known as the four Brahma-Biharas, or the four really great states of the mind and the heart. So this is a practice, Vipassana is a practice of mindfulness, right? And so mindfulness is a practice of being with things just as they are, being fully present, With whatever is happening in your body, in your mind, in your heart, and noticing it without, as much as possible, without any story attached. Sometimes we talk about bare attention. So the breath is just the breath. It's not a good breath or a bad breath, or you're not even really noticing um, anything particular about it. It's just the breath. Long, short, deep, shallow. A sound is just hearing. It's not when <coughs> the attention is really bare. It's not even a car or a bird or a river. It's just hearing. And it's certainly not good or bad or I like it or I don't like it. All of those things are sort of add-ons. So mindfulness is, is just noticing in the simplest way possible what is so. And in giving our attention to what is so, to noticing things just as they are, then that's the place where we begin to see into the nature of our experience. We begin to notice that it's impermanent. We begin to notice that there isn't any solid self that's there. We certainly begin to notice, in many different ways, the nature of the ways in which we suffer. And so we see things. And so mindfulness is really the wisdom component of our practice. And we do it in order to develop wisdom. The word vipassana actually means to see clearly, to see things just as they are, absolutely clearly. But the catch with wisdom is that it can be a little dry, and it can not have so much heart to it. And so, by itself, it's not always quite enough. And there's that place where we also need to develop the heart. And that's what these Brahma Viharas are about. They're sometimes called... The word Vihara is a place where you live, actually... And so it can be, the, a Brahma-Bahara can be a lofty, the Brahma part is the lofty part, a lofty place where you live. It can be a, a, a good state of the mind and the heart. I like to use the term the divine abodes of the heart. And I like the word divine because sometimes, you know, when you really like something, you say it's divine, right? So this is a really divine place to hang out when we're in the heart. So this is the these four places are the place of loving kindness the place of compassion the place of gladness or sympathetic joy and the place of equanimity which interestingly enough also has a lot to do with wisdom and so when we have when we are mindful and have developed these places of the heart we can be present in a very full and heartful way. So this is what one Buddhist scholar says about this. He says, when you've you've really developed the Brahma Viharas, he said, they provide, in fact, the answer to all situations arising from social contact. Isn't that great? Here's the answer to all your social problems. They are great removers of tension, the great peacemakers in social conflict, and the great healers of wounds suffered in the struggle of existence. They level social barriers, build harmonious communities, awaken slumbering magnanimity, long forgotten, revive joy and hope long abandoned, and promote human brotherhood against the forces of egoism. So that sounds pretty cool, right? This is is the solution to everything. Maybe. Probably not, but it will help. It will help a lot. So when we do the practice of metta very often here, metta is loving-kindness. And almost always at the end of any gathering here, there's at least a few moments where you extend goodwill and kindness towards yourself and then you radiate it out towards other beings. And um, in all of these practices, as you develop the practice, they're always intended to be done from the easiest to the hardest. You kind of have to do you first because if if you don't have loving kindness for yourself, even though that may not seem like it's the easiest, you can't really in the long haul do it for other people so we start with ourselves and then we go to benefactors and then we go to people we love and then we go to neutral people and then we go to difficult people and the notion as we develop a practice like this is that in the end you would be friendly to all beings there would not be one being who came towards you that you could not meet with the same friendliness that you might meet your own child or your dog or your cat or your beloved teacher or yourself and so that's actually when you think of that if you think of all the beings you know some of those people that we love to hate in the political news commentary world and you think of them coming towards you along with your dog or your cat it's pretty easy most of us we know which one we choose right (laughs) and so having equal friendliness is, is really a huge goal Compassion is the practice of being fully present with a being who's in pain. The word karuna in Pali, which is the word for compassion, actually means the quivering of the heart, that place where when you're with your own pain, really with it or with another being's, your heart just quivers. We've probably, all of us, felt that in these last few 48 hours or so as you've watched those images coming out of Haiti you know, you watch the pictures and not only does your heart quiver but you cry and you weep because because it's such such enormous pain and suffering and so the, the training in compassion is to be fully present with that without having to turn away from it and just be right there for whatever suffering has come. And again, as we develop the practice, you start with the people that it's easy to have compassion for and then extend it to more and more difficult people. Sympathetic joy or gladness. This is kind of fun, actually. This is the one where you get to enjoy your own happiness. And that always feels, I know sometimes when I think of it, it feels a little like, what? I get to enjoy my own happiness? You know, I'm not supposed to move on to tackling a little more suffering. Mm -hmm. But this is really enjoy your own happiness. Take it in and hope that it lasts a long time and really feel into it. And also then develop the ability to enjoy another person's happiness. And then the last one is equanimity, upekka in pali, and that's about balance. And and sort of not getting knocked off balance no matter what comes along. And this is this particular one is developed in the practice of mindfulness because as you sit here being fully present with whatever comes your way, you're learning to just sit here and be with it, right? Whatever came your way during this last 45 minutes, nobody leaped up and said, I can't stand it anymore, and went out the door, you know? It just, I don't know that I've, I've seen people go out the door, but they've, nobody's ever said, I can't stand it anymore, so I don't know what they were thinking. But, you know, so we, we kind of agree, okay, we're going to sit here, we're going to be fully present, and and sit, most of us sit relatively still and be with it and that develops, not only does it take balance to do that but it also trains you in balance and then there are practices that are specifically about that really learning to be with um, everything that has arisen acknowledging that all beings are the inheritors of their own karma, that there's not anything that we can do to change things in this very moment things are the way that they are one of the reasons that these are called abodes is that we are encouraged in practicing them to be at home there I really like this notion can you be at home in your kindness or in your compassion or in your happiness or in your equanimity can you can you sort of develop it in a way that it becomes very familiar just like when you open your front door and you walk in and there are all your things you know your tables and chairs and sofas and beds and your jammies and and all of the things that that are so yours that make your home yours and that you recognize them and you know how to be there and so that's The idea is that you develop enough training in these and enough knowledge of these that you actually um, are comfortable in them. And in the metta-sutta, at the very end it says, whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, one should sustain this recollection and so the idea then is that that also as we develop these practices they just saturate our being no matter what you're doing standing, walking, sitting, lying down there's some sense of the ability to um, extend friendliness to be present with suffering to enjoy your happiness and to do all of that with a kind of balance And so, as I said, we do all of these. We train ourselves to do them for ourselves, to to meet our own experience with friendliness and kindness. That's a tall order. Because mostly, what do you do? We meet our experience with judgment and criticism, right? We don't... You know, so many people I've encountered over the years don't like themselves very much and have a lot of critical things to say. And, And the Buddha is inviting us to, to hold ourselves, the image in the sutta is as a mother would hold her beloved child. You know? Just that way. Oh, poor boo boo. And pat yourself on the back. And we don't do that, do we? And we don't hold our own suffering that way. We don't often let ourselves feel the pain. I just, I was telling the group on Tuesday that I'd had the experience over the holidays of, of, you know, as I settled into some rest time and time off realizing that there was some really strong pain that was around for me that I've been quite consistently thinking about, strategizing about, theorizing about, but not just being with. I teach this stuff, right? (laughs) So I thought, okay, maybe it's time. Let's just be with it and see what happens if you let the heart quiver and take in your own pain. Taking in our own happiness, as I said, is something that we also don't do so easily. And so really learning to practice with our own experience, learning to develop our own balance, and then gradually extending them out. They're also known sometimes as the four boundless qualities. Because as they develop, there's a great spaciousness that comes with them. But the other thing that's true about the boundlessness part is that there's no one who's allowed to be on the other side of a boundary. In the Metta Sutta, it says, omitting none. So you don't get to have loving kindness for this side of the room. But these folks over here, that's too bad in the end you have to include everyone and so they're boundless in that sense no matter what being comes along no matter where from or what their lives are like or what they believe then you extend your kindness, your compassion your sympathetic joy and you do all of that with balance all of these practices as you develop them are also like mindfulness mindfulness is a wisdom practice and a purification practice so as you do your mindfulness wisdom develops as we also said but also and I think many of you know this that as you sit sometimes what comes up is what's difficult right these four practices of the Brahma Bihara sort of up that ante a little bit because often what comes up is the polar opposite of what you're trying to develop. And so each one of these dimensions has what's called its far enemy. And those these are sometimes the things that show up. You sit down to do loving kindness, and what comes up is all your aversion and hatred and anger. You know, even sometimes with people that you thought you liked. But then, you know, you do the practice enough and all of a sudden that little seed where there's something going on or you haven't looked at, and that's there. And it's not bad news. It's not. This is actually very good news because then you're beginning you're getting to see something that you didn't see before. So it's it's something that you can actually work with. And it's not not that you want to encourage it, but you do want to see it and know that it's there and so that you can then have a heart of kindness towards this person with compassion the opposite is cruelty you know, that place that's just mean And and so there you are sitting trying to feel somebody's pain and there's this kind of annoyance and meanness that arises or with sympathetic joy its far enemy is jealousy and resentment you know you can't be I'm not happy for your happiness I want to know how come I don't have that you know and and so that comes up and with equanimity of course instead of being balanced and at ease with whatever arises there's a lot of clinging and attachment to things being different from the way that they are it gets even trickier though because not only are there far enemies but there's what's called near enemies and so these are the places where you can think maybe you're doing okay but actually you're not seeing quite so clearly so with kindness there's that place where instead of it being expansive and extending to all beings, it gets a little selfish there's there's some there's something in it for you and something that you're wanting out of it, and so um, one, one description of it is selfish affection, that way that we're, that are, we're not holding in that fully open handed way <clears throat> with compassion and the near enemy is pity. So you're not being fully present with, on a kind of an equal level with another being's pain. With pity, it tends, it tends to be a little hierarchical, doesn't it? And there's that way where you kind of look down at someone and feel sorry for them. And that's not, that's not actually considered to be compassion. Um, sympathetic joy, there's that place where happiness and gladness can kind of get out of hand and get a little too exuberant and a little too bubbly Um, and then the, the near enemy for compassion is indifference I mean compassion, I'm sorry the near enemy for equanimity is indifference so you're not balanced, you're just not paying any attention and you're a little indifferent to whatever's going on So there are practices and I'm not going to talk about them a whole lot tonight um, for developing all of these where you work with phrases or work with the energies and kind of explore where you are with each one of these dimensions most of you are familiar with the loving kindness practice where as I said you start with yourself and then move out often we we do work with phrases but phrases don't work for everyone so if it doesn't work with For you, sometimes we do loving kindness with the breath, you know, breathing goodwill and friendliness and then breathing it out and kind of mentally working your way through a series of people. With compassion, there's the practice of bringing to mind suffering beings and just really holding that suffering and sitting with it and seeing, you know, can I breathe it in? There's a wonderful um, Tibetan practice where you actually breathe in the suffering into your heart and then breathe out the compassion. And um, with sympathetic joy, again, you can work with phrases about may you enjoy your happiness, may it last a long time, that kind of thing. And then there are phrases also for the equanimity practice. You can find those relatively easy. I'm happy to and do teach them at other times. I'm just not going to take the time tonight. But they're all intended to be practices that you take on, that you work with, and that they're trainings. So that's also something that's really important to remember to say, is that none of these assume that all you have to do is decide to be kind or compassionate or have sympathetic joy, and then you're there, because it's not so. You know, they're very, very difficult practices. They're, sooner or later, are the people in situations where it's very hard to have Goodwill and friendliness. It's very hard to have compassion for pain or the pain is just too big. It's very hard to have happiness for another's happiness and it's very hard to be balanced. And so, again, as we see those places, sometimes it's the far enemies, as I mentioned a few moments ago, then that's also sort of letting you know this is the place where you have more training and more work to do, more, you know, you haven't made yourself quite so. Comfortable in that particular abode. The other thing that I found come across quite recently that I thought was really interesting is they also have a balancing effect on each other. That that you it's it's helpful to be to have some awareness of all four because each one by itself has some danger of getting a little lopsided and. Um, so when you have, for example, when you develop this kind of unbounded kindness and friendliness, then um, when compassion comes along and you're really being present with one being's pain, it it, it sort of counters any tendency to become partial for that particular one being. You really you're training yourself in the loving kindness practice to go out to all beings, and and so. Um, we don't exclude we, we don't we learn not to exclude other beings from our compassion or from our sympathetic joy but sympathetic joy also with compassion um, when we develop that habit of enjoying another being's happiness, we don't get quite so mired down in the suffering that we're aware of sometimes when we're developing compassion. so you you have um, um, a little, uplifted and and in fact um, one quote that I found since Sympathetic Joy also gives to equanimity the mild serenity that softens its stern appearance it is the smile on the face of the enlightened one a smile that persists in spite of the deep knowledge of the world's suffering, a smile that gives solace and hope, fearlessness and confidence and then equanimity. Equanimity is so needed for all of these. So here's my story about that. Some years ago, I decided I was walking regularly down at Seacliff Beach. And I decided that I would use my walk as a meta practice. And that I would extend loving kindness to whatever beings I encountered as I walked along. And, you know, there's a campground down there and there's families and there's seagulls and there's dogs and there's kids and adults and there's you know lots of different kinds of beings. So that was kind of fun. You know, may you be happy, may you be peaceful, sort of this walking secret pal as I went along. And, and that seemed okay. But then, of course, partly I think because it's a campground, there's all kinds of things going on, right? It's families doing their family thing so sometimes there was suffering people were angry and yelling at each other and children were not being treated very well and you know somehow meta didn't seem quite right then what really was called for was compassion So I thought, oh, okay, I'll do metta and compassion. But of course then sometimes people were being really happy and having a lot of fun. Not always in ways that I totally approved of, but they were having fun. Mm -hmm. And so then I thought, well, maybe I could learn to share their happiness, you know, (laughs) instead of going around being judgmental and jealous and all of that. So then I brought in the um, sympathetic joy part. But then, of course, some of the situations were difficult. Sometimes I didn't like the people that I saw, so it was a little hard to extend loving kindness. Or sometimes the pain was really intense. Or sometimes it was a little difficult to stay balanced with the happiness. And then I saw that what I really needed was equanimity. There was a point that I couldn't go past if I didn't have the equanimity. And it's and that's true it's really needed in order to go very very deep with all of these practices so they really support and um, balance each other and um, as, as we deepen them so it's very apparent you know this is a big a big subject and I really just wanted to kind of go over all four tonight and um, they're, they are a really important training of the mind and the heart I would really invite every one of you to at least find one that you're working on for yourself that, so that you're beginning to develop these, these Brahma Biharas these places for your heart and mind to live and then as we open the heart and deepen our wisdom that's actually what leads to the awakened mind So I think I'll stop there and see if there's questions or comments. Um, We can take the talk a little further with your help, if you'd like. Please.
1: Um, So on retreat for like multiple days in a row, it's really hard for me to do meta, Uh but not as hard for me to do the compassion practice. Uh And I was wondering if that's like a common that like one of them is like easier and like maybe does that mean that I should like work more on the meta or something or like I don't know
0: well mm, I would imagine it depends some on what's up for you I don't know that it's particularly common but and it may be that it means that you need to pay attention to the one that you have more resistance to Um, often that's true so unfortunately I'm sorry to tell you but (laughs) you may want to do that and what's also true though in retreat is that there is a lot of suffering that becomes very apparent and so sometimes that practice of compassion seems like the more appropriate practice I would have to be with you in the retreat talking to you about your very specific situation to kind of Mm -hmm. sort out exactly which, um, so I would play it by ear and also talk to whatever teachers you've got at those retreats. Yeah. Uh, and you won't do any harm by doing compassion practice. None whatsoever. So, you know, that's also true. Anyone else? Please, Barbara. Um,
1: I have something that comes up for me in these situations where. I don't know if this is the right place to ask this question. I'm going to ask it because it's coming up in my mind. We're we're at the end of a group or the end of a session there. There's prayer. Mm -hmm. And um, the prayer is open for anybody to offer prayer. Mm -hmm. And the prayers inevitably are for my sick mother Mm -hmm. or my aunt's broken leg. Or my dog's death, or you know, and there's this kind of uh, kind of a litany of.
0: It happens here sometimes too. Okay. yeah.
1: so I have get so angry. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever told anybody this. Um, mm-hmm. Thinking, what what comes up in my mind is, um, um, I, ju- I just. Um, I get really angry and I'm, I'm thinking it's like well if that's how it is isn't that not okay like, like why it's a why? very
0: good question it's a very good question because that's always the question you know we do metta for I mean here we are tonight we're extending compassion and loving kindness to all those people in Haiti Right? It's huge suffering. It is the way it is. You know, the the earth came to that particular point of unbalance, the earthquake happened. You have all of the karma of a country that is impoverished and doesn't have strong buildings and where people haven't taken care of people. You know, the government's a little iffy and all of that. And it all comes together in this huge, horrendous, Awful thing. <laughs> if you sit here and extend loving kindness and compassion to the people in Haiti, does it change their situation? I have no idea. I figure that's not my job, actually. My job is to open my heart as much as I can. So by remembering them and extending goodwill towards them, whether it's the people of Haiti or Fred's mother with her broken leg or the dead dog, it also helps to open my heart. And my own sense of the usefulness of loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and prayer is that it's opening my heart. And it's a training for my heart to become wiser and bigger and more open. The other part is, as I say, it's not... Anything that I either can or can't do, if if it works, if there's some way, absolutely. And there's you know there are people who understand that it does. I think that's great. I hope it does. And I'm contented to stay here with. You. Does that help? Yeah. yeah. And so you could hold the. I don't know how you're you know in some of these groups here when we list people, it's usually we're extending loving kindness and we're getting specific you know who but in in a when it's actually a formal practice of prayer which is a little different from what we do here but still there you are and you can use it as a training for your own opening i suppose i
1: could use it for training in patience as well uh, that
0: too <laughs> yeah yeah because
1: i get very impatient sometimes. yeah
0: yeah yeah, and, and it, yeah, yeah. Thank you. That's mm-hmm. a great question, because I think it's one that comes for a lot of people. What is this? You know, I thought we were being with the way things are, and now you're saying, may you be happy, and may you be peaceful. Uh-huh. And both things are true. Yeah. The, the way I see it, I mean, I definitely, I'm not a person that prays
2: or believes in. belief system. But I feel that practicing method does change the world, because if I mm. develop those yes. qualities in myself, and more empathy, and more compassion, and more kindness, that changes the way I interact with the next mm-hmm. person that I interact with, which then changes the way they interact with the next person mm. they interact with. So it's like it's completely unstoppable in its ripple effect. And so the more that we all do it, the more that we change everyone we come into
0: contact with. Thank you for that. That's that's actually a really important point to remember the karma of of these actions and that's training and loving kindness or compassion or sympathetic joy or equanimity or mindfulness. It all has a karma, it all ripples out. And that, you know, that's also the answer to what can I do, you know. And what you can do is exactly what Heidi's pointing toward—that place where your, your action, your and interactions are kinder, more compassionate, wiser, and then.
1: You know, it might be, and thank you for saying that. I didn't really connect loving kindness mental, um with. The question that I asked. like mm-hmm. the question that I asked feels like uh, like I don't have any problem with meta at all, and I love to do that sort of uh, practice um, in secret, mm-hmm. just like you were talking mm-hmm. about. I really enjoy that. There's something, uh, some other element that is coming to my mind, and it's some kind of judgment mm-hmm. that I that comes up when people are requesting feel like so embarrassing but when people are sort of like I don't know it's just like you know oh I I got a bruise on my thigh today oh I, you know there's just something but I think it really is about my difficulty in opening my heart mm-hmm. and, um, to people you know sometimes mm-hmm. so appreciate the conversation
0: great well, maybe that's a good place to stop. Um, there's just a couple of announcements. Um, next week, on Friday night and all day Saturday, we're having a visit from the nuns from the Saranoloka community. This is a community of nuns who are, are just starting to live here on the West Coast. They've been primarily in England um, before this, And they're connected with the monastery that our friend Ajahn Amuro um, is abbot of, co abbot of, up in Ukiah. So um, they are Westerners and um, quite an interesting crew of women. So they're going to be here for two events. One is Friday evening, Um, it's on the website. But I do want to say a couple of things because we've had some trouble sorting out exactly what's going to happen next Friday. So at 5.30 on Friday, we're going to be offering, we're having a little tea. They don't eat an evening meal, but there are a few foods that they're allowed to have. And so we will have tea here. And so if you would like to come and hang out with these women in a kind of an informal way, we'll be offering some food, we'll have tea and probably something to munch on for us. And then at 7 there's going to be a more formal kind of conversation. They're not actually giving a talk which I had thought they were going to do but they will be willing to answer questions about their roles as nuns and women in the in the Buddhist world and some of you are aware there's been quite a conversation in recent months about the ordination of women nuns and so this particular group has done has made a particular choice around how much ordination they have i I don't want to go into all the details of it but i think you'll find it interesting they're very articulate and interesting women there are two of them who are going to be here and then on saturday they're teaching a day-long retreat beginning at 9 30 and going until five and the title of the retreat is this moment Precious moment, and it will be sitting and walking and Dharma talks and that kind of thing. And you're invited to bring food to share with them because they have to, all their food <coughs> has to be offered to them. They can't walk over to New Leaf and buy their lunch. So um, I hope you'll pick up flyers and I hope some of you will come. And if there's anybody here this evening who could be of some assistance to me Friday evening, in setting it up or and kind of working with the evening I'd like to talk to you afterwards that would be really helpful um, I'm told that I'm supposed to introduce board members so we have Martin Carver who's here from our board this evening and I think it would be great if either you or Heidi would say something about Donna the well, current we situation
1: we have two beautiful new Donna kind of baskets that were gifted to us after so many years of having very modest modest, (laughs) and one of the baskets is Mm -hmm. in support of the Sangha and the rent that we pay and and the like and one of the baskets supports the teachers Mm -hmm. and you encourage everyone to
2: give generously
0: you want to say any more out of our conversation last night?
2: yeah I think that um we've realized that we need to educate people a little bit more about the real need for support, especially of the, uh, the sun's expenses that we are. We've been practicing deficit spending for the past few months, and uh, so we are encouraging people to consider what part of the 3000 a month that it takes to keep this place going you want to make your part and possibly to consider a monthly pledge Online, by credit card or however you want to do it. We'll be talking about this more in the next few weeks but we're encouraging people to just recognize that there really is the a need for everyone who benefits from the Krasna Sanford to make a contribution according to your needs. Thank you.
0: I did a little math around it recently and figured that we have about 150 people who float through here most weeks or over Anyway, about 150 regular people. If everyone pledged an average pledge of between 30 and $40, we'd have all the teacher and sangha dana we needed. And that's 30 or 40 a month. So it's not a lot. And some people clearly couldn't do that, but other people could do more. So um, it's pretty interesting to begin to realize that you know, we, we can make this happen this way in this wonderful gift economy that, we, that the dana system is. So let's um, do a little bit of loving kindness practice. So rearrange yourselves if your knees are tired or... One of the things about loving kindness practice is you need to be comfortable. It's really hard to have kind and friendly thoughts if you hurt, you know? So you're invited to sit in a way that works for you, that's comfortable. And it's also intended to be easy. So you're invited to tweak any instructions so that they make you happy to do this practice. So change phrases, do it your own way. The important thing is that you do it. So that said, feel yourself sitting there, take a breath, bring yourself back into your own body. And then in some simple way, extend goodwill toward yourself. It might be breathing it into every cell in your body. It might be with a phrase, May I be peaceful. May I have ease of well-being. It might be in some other way just extending friendliness and goodwill towards yourself. Let yourself be aware then of all the people sitting around you to your right and to your left in front of you and behind you and begin then to radiate this friendliness and goodwill out You can do that again with the breath or you can extend the same or different phrases of goodwill toward everyone. May all of us be peaceful and happy. May all of us have ease of well-being. May all of us come to an ending of suffering. Let your awareness move on out. We can extend it to the people with the music next door and on out to the people walking by in the street and then on out to people whom you know and love. Please include all of the people who are working so hard in Haiti to shave people and to offer rescue and sustenance and also to the people who are suffering so much and all of the beings who are suffering. And then let our goodness go, our good will go on out towards all beings, all people, all creatures, all beings in all directions, in all realms, and to all beings everywhere. And last of all, we take all of the goodness of our practice together this evening, all of its merit. And we offer this merit for all of these beings and perhaps tonight most particularly for those suffering in Haiti and those working there. That all beings may be happy, that all beings may be peaceful, and that all beings everywhere may be free. So thank you very much for your presence and your practice. Before you get up, I'd like you to turn towards somebody seated near you, preferably somebody you don't know if you came with somebody you do know, and find out who they are. Who is this other being that you're wishing happiness and peace to? (laughs)